together. So open up your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3. Uh, I want to give a special welcome to all those joining us online in our online community. And hey, keep giving us feedback. Thanks to all of our tech crew who's working so hard on not only our online technology stuff, trying to help the broader body of Eagle Church stay more connected. So give us feedback on how that's going, and you keep giving us feedback here in the room. Our tech crew's working hard with our sound system, and so let us know if it's better, worse, same on week to week, and just let us know where you're sitting generally in the room and leave your comment card that way. It's probably more helpful to drop comment cards in the basket than it is to run back to the tech booth and, and, and whisper in their ear, because the... The guys are busy usually during the morning, but they appreciate input, and we appreciate input because we want to know how we're doing, and our goal is that it'd be more effective and more clear week after week in what we're doing. So we're in Colossians chapter 3. We've been in this ongoing series called The God-Soaked Life. And now in this chapter, we're in the second part of Colossians 3, and Paul takes a turn to what some may call the painstakingly practical parts of a God-Soaked Life. And I had a voicemail on Tuesday afternoon that was in the category of painstakingly practical. It was a voicemail from my beautiful wife, Kendra, who said, hey, honey, just wanted to let you know, before you come home, this is what you're going to walk into. Now, right there, I could have paused the voicemail. (laughs) It wasn't going to help the productivity of the rest of my afternoon, but she was trying to be helpful in that just kind of, I just want you prepared to what you're going to walk into. And then she went on to describe, she says, hey, I was just kind of doing up some dishes and getting things ready for supper tonight and running the garbage disposal, and it just didn't sound quite right. And then I heard water running underneath the sink, and then I open up the, yeah, you see where this, open up the cabinet doors, and there's some discolored water that's emanating odors in the category of Ray's trash truck has nothing compared to what's coming out from under our sink. So, can't wait to see you tonight. Love you. Good times. So, um, at the end of my work day, I called a plumber friend of mine on the... I only have a two and a half minute drive home, so these are sometimes those evenings where... If you ever see Pastor Eric making laps out in the parking lot, it's one of those times where you just need a little bit longer commute to kind of handle the transition. What's Pastor Eric doing out there? Just shifting gears, just shifting gears. So I'm out circling the lot a little bit with a plumber friend of mine on the phone, and I said, hey, um, here's the situation, and you know my preschool slash elementary skill level when it comes to home improvement stuff, so give me some guidance here. When I walk in the door, should I step into this project tonight? Yes or no? He said, you can do this, Simpson. I said, yeah. I'm like, all right, you can do this. I got no idea. I said, I had to ask the basic components of a garbage disposal. Like, give me the basics here. He said, well, first thing you need to make sure is the power. You guys are all going to your heads now. Make sure the electricity to that thing. So you got to disconnect wires and you get to disconnect some drain pipes and you'll drop that old unit. You'll put the new, hey, Simpson, our tops. I think I rolled in the door around 6.30, 6.45, something like that. And uh, the first step of the project was to get the old unit out. And Kendra was right. Like, when I opened up those cabinet doors, it's hard for me to describe, but the wave of odors that hit me, I had no idea how much odor is contained inside your garbage disposal. Did you have any idea? 
I had no idea. That little thing is containing some things that probably would take years off of our lives if it hit us. That's what was coming. I'm like, oh my goodness. And so this bucket was under the sink, and the bucket was like a quarter filled with that water or something coming out of that disposal. And so my first step was to unhook all the things. I felt good about how I got everything unhooked. And then I reached up. I reached up to, you know, there's this connection at the top, and my plumber friend was saying, you might have to give it a good crank to kind of get it loose there. So I reached up, and I barely applied any, I maybe moved it a quarter of an inch. It was that close to coming detached. I did that, and it dropped completely. Well, you know what was right underneath it? The bucket. With water, yeah, it went straight from up there, straight down there, and this splash wave (laughs) comes up upon me. Now, it smelled really bad in the bucket. It's now kind of, you know, my goatee and my shirt and on the back of my head, he's like, you got this an hour. I'm like, yeah, right. So I roll over to Lowe's smelling like all of that, right? So I'm just like the guy in the plumber aisle. He looks at me like, dude, you need some help. And <laughs> so two trips to Lowe's later, because you know it always is two trips. <laughs> we get to the point, girls are now, we, we did dinner somewhere in between here. I don't think I smelled too bad at the dinner table. I scooted my chair back enough, but I was get some food in, and the girls were off to bed. I'm still working on the project. So we're now 9.30-ish or so, and um, I got to the stage where all I needed to do was reattach the disposal to that wonderful attachment at the top. I don't even know what to call that thing, but if I was an engineer, I'd redesign the thing after this stage, but... <laughs> So I worked at it while Kendra's putting the girls to bed and kind of cleaning up some things. I'm probably a good hour, just me, just me trying to get this thing reattached and it's failure after failure. And then I finally say what most husbands, at least me, I'm fairly reluctant to say is, honey, could you come and help me? (laughs) So it's now 1030 at night and you need to see Eric and Kendra kind of wedged underneath the kitchen sink, garbage disposal somewhat in hand, randomly falling, randomly failing, avoiding major injuries. For We worked at this for a good 45 minutes, just the two of us, and then we're just about to give up, which by the way, give up at this point is Kendra looks at it and goes, well, well honey, what are options here? And I'm like, there's a big old hole right in the middle of the sink, which would just, you don't have a lot of options here. It's like we're going to call our plumber friend to come some other day, and so I'm going to give it one more try. So, on the last gasp, we spun it, and it connected. And it was unbelievably easy. (laughs) We had watched YouTube videos. I had read the instructions in three languages by now. And it all looked so simple. The guy on the YouTube video did it with one hand. I kept saying to Kendra, I go, honey, we got four hands on this project. He's got one hand on this project. He's done in 20 seconds on the video. We're 45 minutes into this. She's like, I know. And she goes, I think it's this. I think it's that. So, 40. so I entitled this morning, hashtag kitchen sink. <laughs> because I come to you now with a new metaphor for marriage and family life. You see, when I, walk the, when I walk the aisle 
and said yes to my beautiful bride, that we were going to build a marriage together in Christ. I had visions about this marriage. I thought sunset walks on the beach, you know, nice steaks on the grill over a nice candlelight dinner. I have a new one now. Hashtag kitchen sink. Both of our heads underneath the sink, lifting up garbage disposal repair with odors emanating out of that sink that should be illegal. (laughs) This, ladies and gentlemen, is a much more accurate picture of what you say yes to when you walk the aisle of marriage. Hashtag kitchen sink. Because... There were some joyful moments of the project. Like when we completed it, we high-fived at 11 o'clock at night. thought, what in the world was that all about? We failed a lot together in the project. We were mostly patient with one another, though I think I was impatient a couple of times. Lily overheard when the bucket hit, you know, the thing dropped into the bucket. She's like, Dad! It's all... No response from under the sink. I I don't want anything to roll right now. Like, whatever's going to come out of my mouth right now is not going to be very pastoral. (laughs) Hashtag kitchen sink. When you say yes to entering in to a life with another person called a spouse that eventually, by God's grace, would become a family unit... When you say yes to that pathway, the Bible says there's some dynamics that are going to be thrust upon your life. That for sure there'll be sunset walks on the beach moments. For sure there'll be nice steaks on the grill over candlelight. For sure those will be, there'll just be a lot more hashtag kitchen sink. And if you don't believe me, those of you married, single, and students right now, you ask anyone with some jewelry on this finger after the service. You ask them. So this is the step that Paul has gotten to in the letter. You see, where Paul has spent three chapters unpacking Christ is all. Christ is your life. Christ is your light. Christ is your hope. This is a routine of Paul's where he'll anchor, and this is your identity in Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You've been buried with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. You're made new in Christ. This is who you are. This is very Pauline-like writing. He did this in Ephesians. First three chapters of Ephesians, this is who you are in Christ. Last three chapters of Ephesians, this is how you live in light of who you are. Because this is what discipleship is. You're becoming in character who you already are in identity. That's what I would say about discipleship. What is discipleship? It's the process of becoming in your everyday life, in your everydayness, the character of your everydayness, the process of becoming in that who you already are in identity. So if your life is hidden with Christ and God, what does that look like if you're a husband or wife? If you've been buried with Christ and raised with Christ, what does that look like if you're a mom or a dad? If you've taken a step where you've placed your identity in Jesus, what does that look like when you go to work in your workplace? 
This is how Paul is applying the last half, Ephesians and the last half of Colossians. So in Colossians, this is where like verse 18 and 19 is marriage, verse 20 and 21 is parenting, and verse 22 all the way to chapter 4, verse 1 is work. Marriage, parenting, and work. Get more practical than that? How does Christ is all, how does your practical everyday life worked out in light of who you already are, how does that look in marriage, parenting, and work? So today, we're going to talk about marriage. Next week, we're going to talk about parenting. And so, if you've got some folks maybe in your networks or you know are going through it on the home front, these would be a good couple of weeks because we're going to peel back some layers and try to get painstakingly practical. And today is hashtag kitchen sink. Ephesians 5 verse 22. Here's how Paul said it to the church at Ephesus. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Paul uses that in Ephesians 5, which is a little more detailed way of unpacking what he says in Colossians 3. Wives, Submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So you notice, ladies in particular, Paul is kind of, he's reinforcing a word over and over and over again, right? The verb choice for you is what? It's one of your favorite words, I know. Submit. I did some work for you, ladies. I dug into the Greek a little bit to see what does that word really, really mean? And I want to let you know, at the core of that word, it means submit. That's all I got for you. We'll come back to the significance of the verbs he chose to apply to both the husband and the wife. But I want to anchor us today in two principles. If I was going to have a conversation with someone who's considering being married or who has just become married, if I was going to have a conversation and I only had two main principles to talk about, these are the two things I'd have a conversation about. That's why I put this together today. Because in light of, we're already establishing this. Here's the baseline we're going to work from. Christ is all. He's our light. He's our hope. He's our life. At least that's our desire. We're saying we want to go Christ's way. We want to live this Colossians God-soaked life. Now we're asking the question, practically, how does this work out in marriage? And so this is where I entitled it, a Christian marriage, dot, dot, dot. So a Christian marriage, by definition, has already established a baseline where in their heart of hearts, they want to honor Christ in this relationship. That's the difference, a Christian marriage. Now, you can have a marriage that isn't Christian. But today, we're saying a Christian marriage described these two principles. First one in your notes. A Christian marriage believes that your spouse can never be more than your spouse. Now, I, I have a fair amount of weddings every year. I enjoy weddings. It's one of my favorite things I do as a pastor. I love getting immersed in family dynamics and all that. Most of the weddings I do are for families who are not a part of Eagle. Somehow I got linked up in the wedding circuit of Indianapolis, which is just an okay thing. But there's, there's wonderful photographers like Jess Strickland, who is amazing work in wedding photography, and I think she's dropped my name on a few wedding venues, and those wedding venues drop my name somewhere else. And somewhere along the way, when people show up and they don't have a pastor to perform a marriage ceremony, my phone rings, which is okay. I like to help as many. I feel like that's the kind of thing Jesus would do. Maybe I'm, I think, I feel like Jesus would want to help people. They're going to get married anyway. 
maybe this can be, a, maybe I can help them. And I say, hey, I'm glad to help you. Could we just, the commitment I ask, could we have one conversation in my office to talk about, hey, how you can have a great marriage? That's what I ask for them. And of course they all say yes because they want me to marry them. So it's kind of captive audience. And I get to talk to them about these things. Here's the conversation we have. The Christ, the, the Christ is really the one. He's the one who created marriage. So God created it. He knows best how it works. So we have a conversation about the role of your spouse. And then along the way, I asked them in preparing for the wedding, would they write their own vows? Now, this is a wild card every time because now some of them come from religious backgrounds, some of them don't. And I say, I'll help you. I'll help you. But here's the point. You say, well, why are you having them write their own vows? Because it's their vows. It's not my vows. It's not what I want to say to your wife or your... Now, I'll help you, but it's got to be what... What do you want to say to your spouse? This is a vow. It's a commitment. It's a covenant. So, the exercise of having write their own vows, do you want to kind of play it out like, who do you think gives me the better input? Generally, Eve, let's just call for the rest of the morning, Eve being the, the woman wife figure, Eve, Eve submits vows, usually a couple paragraphs long, plenty of stuff to work with, lots of good stuff. And then usually the day before the ceremony, I get like a one-sentence or two-sentence email from Adam. And let me give you a sample. I got one one day. They're not a part of the church, at least as far as I know. Here, here's one, one I got. This groom sent me the day before the ceremony. This is what I'd like to say in my vows tomorrow, Pastor Eric. Can you help me out? Quote, I appreciate your work ethic and your desire for self-improvement. I can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's, there's no way you can make that up. Men, run this out now. How's that going to go? <laughs> I love you. You're beautiful. And I appreciate your work ethic and your desire for self-improvement. Yeah, that's going to be a short-lived marriage right there. Needless to say, I edited out every word of the things he submitted. He's one of those few. I wrote all of the ones out for him on that way. I get to the ceremony the next day because we had less than 24 hours to go time on the ceremony. I walk in for it. It's like, hey, what do you think of these? He goes, oh yeah, I like those a lot. I'm like, yeah, we're going to steer clear of what you submitted me. He goes, oh, okay, I trust you. I trust you. <laughs> but here's some others I get. Now, I get, a lot of you have submitted vows and those of you are around here, you've done a great job with your vows and lots of wonderful things, and you make it easy for me to... I just try to massage them and make them sound vow-like, but they submit the substance of it. But here's some others I get that I kind of gets into this category of, ah, like, you're my rock, my strength, my comfort, my everything. You're the reason I get up each day. I can't imagine living one moment without you. When I think of love, you define me. Not all sounds beautiful, poetic, Hallmark movie-esque. There's a core problem here, though. It's not true. It's setting, it's a recipe for disaster. Do you hear what's in those words? Like if you were walking the aisle and you are viewing the person that you're about to enter into this covenant with, you're viewing them as a way to complete you, to define you, to be, in a sense, your hope, your light, your definition of love. Are you kidding me? The pressure of those expectations on that relationship will squeeze the life out of that relationship. It's got no shot. 
Because I guarantee you 100%, just speaking from Adam's seat of the equation right now, I'm saying I'm going to let Eve down all over the place. Hashtag kitchen sink. That's reality. Now listen, it doesn't mean I can't strive to love well, right? Strive to be a comfort. Strive to... But you... Ultimately, if you are looking to your spouse to come through for you in ways they could never possibly come through for you, you are setting yourself up for a disaster. That's why I think it's really important at the front end of a discussion about marriage. And I ask the students, and I appreciate student ministry, they put an all call out. Students, I really wanted you here today because I think this is so critical. And young adults, and you single agains, you're navigating all these relational choices. I wish someone would have sat down with me in my formative years of teens and early 20s and had this conversation with me and talked to me about the role a spouse is to play and not to enter into this covenant, what I'm calling now is a tyranny of misplaced pursuit. That's what's going on when you walk the aisle and you thrust all these expectations on your spouse. It's a tyranny of misplaced pursuit. Here's what you're saying. You're saying, I'm expecting you to come through for me in ways that only Jesus can come through for me on. And when you do that, you've got a ticking time bomb on the table waiting for that thing to go off. Because you are thrusting so much pressure and expectation. And you're set up for, do you know what the gap is between unmet expectations? Your expectation is here. Your expectation is Eve is going to come through for you in these ways. Adam's going to come for you. He's going to be your light. He's going to be your hope. And reality's like this, right? Expectation here, reality here. You know what the gap right there is filled with? Disappointment. That w- that's what fills the gap of unmet expectations, And that's the tyranny of misplaced pursuit. That's why I think it's important when you hit this gap of disappointment, it's often not a misplaced spouse, which is what we run to. We think if I just change out spouses, it's going to be better. It's actually the issue is a misplaced pursuit. It's placing our spouse in a situation that they could never possibly fulfill. Christ, this is Colossians, this is, why Coli- this is why he waited till the end of the book to get into this. Do you see why he waited till chapter 3? Because he's saying, hey, look, you've got to anchor this. Christ is your light. Christ is your hope. Christ is your all. He's your healer. He's your Messiah. He's your rescuer. He's your redeemer. Your spouse cannot be your healer. Your spouse cannot be your Messiah. Your spouse cannot be your hope. Your spouse cannot complete you and fulfill you and define you. Christ is all. Do you see this? So now follow me. Students, singles, single again. Hear this. Do you see now the greatest gift you can give to your future marriage partner? Do you see what the greatest gift you can give them is? Your personal wholeness in Christ. Christ brings your wholeness. And you run with all your heart after Christ. And you give everything you've got to Him. And your personal wholeness in Him is the greatest gift you're going to give your future spouse. I like to think of it this way. We often go down the aisle thinking half a person, half a groom, half a bride equals whole marriage. At least that's how I feel as a pastor sometimes. Confession of honesty here. Sometimes I'm standing at the end of the aisle and bride and groom are walking down the aisle and I'm saying to the Lord, 50-50 Lord on this one. Because the work we've done and the preparations and dug into some things and go, you know what? Of course I'm going to honor their wishes. They want to get married, but I'm really concerned. Because tyranny of misplaced pursuit in it. There's this half-half, and they're thinking, yeah, if I just can kind of get to the altar and 
will be whole. You know, like the marriage altar is going to fix me. Do you know marriage doesn't fix your brokenness? Marriage doesn't fix your loneliness. Young ladies especially now. I want to encourage you, don't reach in settling for less than God's best for a spouse from this base of loneliness. I empathize with the loneliness. I hear your cries for help. He hears your cries for help. Your companionship and your wholeness has got to be anchored in Christ first. And from that place, you don't settle for anything less than in Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, man, or Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, woman. You don't settle for it. Now, first of all, you yourself have to be all in. Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, like Christ, your wholeness in Christ. That's the gift you bring to the equation. So it's whole person, whole groom, plus whole bride equals whole marriage. It's not half-half equals whole. The math, the math of grace in marriage is whole, whole equals whole. Are you tracking with me? So I used to run in the mini marathon back in my younger days. And I remember lining up in the starting gate at the mini marathon one time. And like the Kenyans are in gate, you know how they label them? It's like gate A, they announce all the Kenyan runners. And then they stack you by what they think your time's going to be. You have to submit when you sign up. And I'm like in gate, I think I was R. I didn't say I was fast. But I was going to run, you know. I remember sitting, and there's, you know, 30,000 or however many crazy thousands of runners. And, and the gun goes off, and those Kenyans... Like, we didn't move for 10 minutes. Do you know how much ground those Kenyans covered? They had these video screens going on, and, and I'm like grinding through like mile marker one, and the Kenyans are doing like the halfway pull at the speedway. <laughs> I thought about this when it comes to this wholehearted pursuit with marriage. Those of you who are navigating your relation, relational choices for a future spouse, here's an image I want to give you. I think what Paul, the vision he's given us in Colossians, Ephesians, 1 Corinthians 7 is another chapter where he gets into this. Here's the vision. He's like, hey, your personal wholeness in Christ is the single most defining, like that's your whole pursuit. That's where you give your best to. You run like those Kenyans run out of gate A towards Christ. You run it with all you've got. You passionately pursue him. You find your identity in him. He's your value. He's your worth. Like you're significant. You put your roots down deep into who he is. You go after Christ like those Kenyans go after the finish line in a mini marathon. That's what you do. Now hear me. Students, hear this now. And when you're running that way and your focus is that way, when you're getting to the point where like, God, I'd love to have a spouse and build a family with someone. Here's what you do. You're running and you're sprinting like those Kenyans for the finish line. And then you look to your left and you look to your right and you say, who's keeping pace with me? There's your candidates for a spouse. Here's my observation as a pastor. We've got a lot of young people who start out like the Kenyans. And then in a place of loneliness, they start, they start, they like what she looks like back there in Corral T. She looks really good. So they just kind of coast it troll on towards the back of the pack because he looks good. She looks good. And I'm lonely. And you settle. You follow me now? You settle for let. You need to stay up at the front of the pack and look who's keeping pace with you. I get it. The crowd up there is thinner. Are you kidding me? The Kenyan corral had all kinds of room. They're warming up, doing calisthenics up there. 
Corral R, I was like this. I couldn't move in Corral R. I get it. But hear this now. Ask anyone with one of these on today, young people, single agains. Hey, anyone with one of these on, ask them this question. What's going to serve you best? Sprinting with all you got, choosing someone who's keeping pace, or settling for less than Ephesians 5 or Colossians 3, hands down. Don't settle for anything less than God's best for your life. You give yourself wholeheartedly to Christ. You let him heal the brokenness. You let him bring the wholeness. And then as you're running with all you've got like those Kenyans to the finish line, look to your left, look to your right, and by God's grace, there'll be someone there for you to walk that aisle with it. Wholeness, wholeness equals wholeness. That's an Ephesians 5 marriage. That's a Christian marriage. And that's possible for you young people. It's possible for you on college campuses. Now listen, on the college campus, you got a whole lot of pack way back there. You with me? Mom and dad, you want fuel to how to pray right now? I'm giving you some fuel today on how to pray. You want to pray with all you've got, Ephesians 5 husband, Ephesians 5 wife for your kid. You want to, I've been praying for years for Lily and Kaylin that the man they would marry would love them like Christ loves the church. That's Ephesians 5 selflessly and sacrificially and relentlessly. Love him like Christ loves the church. And this part, and Lord, would you bring him a man that loves you more than he loves them. That's Ephesians 5. You want the kind of woman, you want the kind of man who's more passionately in love with Christ than they even are with their spouse. That's what we're after. So there's fuel for prayer. Secondly, mom and dad, trying to encourage you today, you're going to have to step in and be a parent into some uncomfortable space at times when you feel like your son or daughter, either they themselves have slowed up the pace or they've intentionally gotten slowed up because they got linked up with someone in Corral T. Be the parent, lovingly engage in that dialogue and support them enough to say, you're not going to let them troll back there without some heart-to-hearts. Are you with me? This is, this is what it means to love each other. And this is why we need life groups. This is why we need help and support from mentors. But that's too important. The quote I put in your notes. What, is, what did I put in here? Neil Warren. Listen to what he said. Your choice of who to marry is more crucial than everything else combined you will ever do to make your marriage succeed. Holy buckets. You kidding me? Ask anybody with a ring on who's going to say an amen to that statement. I'll tell you right now. So young people and single agains, be very, very wise and discerning on this choice. Apart from you choosing Christ, it'll be the next most significant decision you'll make in your life. So choose it wisely and don't settle for anything less than Ephesians 5, Colossians 3. And as a body, we're going to covenant to help you, help you do that. That's the generation we want to see raised up. And by God's grace, hopefully we've got a lot of marriages around here modeling some of that, which moves in to our second point. Hashtag kitchen sink is reality, right? That's the vision of the direction we need to go. But in reality, a Christian marriage dot, 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 second principle, battles through Genesis 3 with Colossians 3. So now you're, some of you are saying, yeah, 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 Eric, I get it, I get it. But I look back at my, I was like, oh, I screwed up, made a mistake here. That. I get, hey, this is, do you know Genesis 3? Here, here's your Bible. It's the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible. So here's the number of pages in your Bible that this is life without sin. This is married life, no hashtag kitchen sink over here. This is just, 
married life, sunset, beach, Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the garden with God, with one another. It couldn't have gone any better. This is that life. Hey, but here's real life. Here's current life. So this is life without sin. This is hashtag kitchen sink life right here. This is where the battleground, this is the kind of marriage, this is the environment we're trying to build our marriages in. Genesis 3 and onward, which is the fall of man into sin. Colossians uses this terminology, your earthly nature, your sinful nature. Where does it find its origin? Genesis 3. Adam and Eve rebelled. They strayed. We inherited that sinful nature. Does this explain, this explains why married and fa- marriage and family life is so complicated, difficult, and messy. Genesis 3. Why is it so much work, Pastor Eric? Genesis 3. Why is there so much failure in this? Genesis 3. Why is it when you feel like you're taking three steps forward, you take two back? Genesis 3. To use the metaphor from last week, Genesis 3 is the current in the river that the kayak of your marriage is floating in. So you pick up the oars in your marriage, and you're going to coast, and you're going to drift, and you're just going to let it go to wherever it wants to go. Anybody figured out in marriage and family life, when you drift, you usually don't drift to the kinds of places that you really want to be. Lodged against some rock, sideways against some log, taken on water. You get looking up and go, how did we get here? You pick the oars up out of the water. So here's how Genesis 3 describes it. I put in your notes just some of the core passage around it. We're going to put one diagram up that kind of embodies this battling through Genesis 3 with Colossians 3. Here's Genesis 3's description. When the woman, Eve, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing for the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. By the way, you can underline in your Bibles if you're there, Genesis 3, verse 6. Good, pleasing, desirable. That's the battleground for sin. Did you notice that sin's described good, pleasing, desirable. That's where it gets its short-term power in our lives. Its power is rooted in its short-term pleasure. Notice the the sin isn't presented to us as some nasty, worm-infested piece of rotting fruit. No, sin comes to you. It's going to look good, sound good, feel good, taste good. But at the end of the day, just because it looked good, sound good, feel good, it doesn't mean it is good. So young people, again, Just because you like what he looks like, like what she looks like, which, by the way, at the marriage altar, that's the best it's going to be on the exterior side. (laughs) I'm going to bust your little bubble here for a moment. It's kind of a long, steady downward slope from the marriage altar on the good, pleasing, desirable on the outside. You don't believe me? Just look around the room. Amen. Do any of us look like we looked on our wedding day? Come on now. I know you ladies hold your beauty fine, but us men, hey, this is not what the wedding photos in the Simpson uh, look like. I had a big old head of black hair, and it was flowing, and it was wavy, and it was parting. I had a little flip-up going in the back. Oh, yeah. I had the gold choker chain going on. Oh, yeah. Makes you want to look at that 1992 wedding album. Come on now. And from an exterior attractiveness standpoint, I've been on a long, steady downward slope. (laughs) Good thing my wife fell in love with far more than just the person she's looking at from an outside. So young people, you get, of course you want to enjoy what you're looking at. You're going to spend a lot of time looking at them, but it's got to be way more than that. Because on the outside, it's going to fade. How's the Bible say? Outwardly, we're going to fade away. Amen to that. But inwardly, 
we can be renewed day by day. That's how it's going to be sustainable for the long haul. You're going to fall in love with the kind of person standing at the altar beside you, not just what they look like. And this is what's going on with Eve. She got enamored by what something looked like. Gives some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, notice, was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, made coverings for themselves. Now notice in this whole narrative, who's the serpent approaching here? Striking up the dialogue with Eve. Notice who's having the conversation with Eve is. Notice who's taking the fruit, Eve. Notice who's handing the fruit to Adam, Eve. Eve's kind of in the forefront, running the show. Why is that significant? Because rooted in Genesis 1-2 before sin, Adam was supposed to have some leadership role and responsibilities over Eve. And now the serpent comes on the scene and immediately approaches Eve. So if God's intent was that Adam would have some leadership over Eve, the serpent comes and wants to flip it around. And immediately puts Eve in a control position. That's why the diagram I put on your notes, what's Adam doing, by the way, this whole time? Like, seriously, that verse that says he just took some and ate it? Does anybody want to jump out of their chair at that point? You go kidding me? You didn't ask one question? What was the one command God gave him? Hey, you're good to eat from any of the trees you want. Just this one right here. Put a little fence around it. Don't cross that fence. She just hands him the fruit. Listen, guys, one in, right there engaged would have been appropriate for me. Hey, where'd you get that fruit, honey? That didn't come from the tree that we... Not one question. He just going with the flow, checked out. So that's why I put the diagram. Here's the diagram to embody the current in the river of married life. Hashtag kitchen sink. It ends up like this. Sloth and control. Here's the, here's, here's the flow, right? You just let the kayak of marriage go where it wants to go. Here's where it's going to go. Eve's going to run everything, decide everything, dominate everything, call the shots, run the show, control everything. And then Adam's going to say, okay, whatever. Whatever she wants. She's good, I'm good. Make sure there's money in the bank account. Listen, this is how Eve is upstairs at home running the entire household and Adam's in the basement watching ESPN with a six-pack checked out. How did it happen? Right there. Of course, nobody walked the aisle and said that's where you wanted to go. You just drift there. This is the sloth and control cycle. You don't have to work it. This is the current in the river. This is the air you're breathing. When you wake up as husband and wife, this is what's coming against you. Eve running everything, Adam checked out, doing nothing. Do you see how one fuels the other? Like, her control fuels his sloth, and his sloth fuels her control. It's a masterful cycle. Where Eve says, I just wanted to get off the couch and do something. Engage, lead, be involved. And then he's like, yeah. Every time I try to step in and do something, I get a three-point critique. Can't do anything right. What's the point? Do you see this? So her control, run everything, critique and everything, feels his what's the point, and they just cycle. You put this lens on and you examine now marriage and family life around you, and you see how this sabotages. Now, thankfully... I'm going to wrap up today with a picture of, well, what do you do with this? Here's the oars you put in the water. These are the oars for your kayak of marriage to row against this current. And the oars are listed Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. And ladies, I'm going to help you out because Ephesians 5 uses a different word than submit that might be a little more palatable for you to get your arms around. Listen to how Ephesians 5 verse 33 puts it. However, each of you 
also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must, what's the word? Respect her husband. So here's the two oars, right? You're going to counteract sloth and control by sticking the oars of love and respect in the water. So here's the vision of how you're going to work this. You're going to battle through Genesis 3 by Adam. Hey, men, this is our role. We're going to stick the oar of Christ-like love in the water, and we're going to row towards our spouse relentlessly, selflessly, sacrificially, unconditionally, faithfully. You row towards her with Christ-like love. That bar is plenty high, men. Jesus, like the vision he gives us in Ephesians 5 is, look at Jesus, look at how he relates to the church. There's your picture of the kind of work your oar is supposed to be about. And then ladies, what's yours? Respect. So the way, the party of metaphor you occupy is you're the church in relationship to Jesus. Respect, submit, honor, encourage, support. Now listen, guys, we don't, worship is not in there. We got it. That's where that metaphor breaks down. Come on, guys. You're ready. You're ready for me to go there on that one. No. She doesn't need to worship you, but you follow me? The church, look, how the church relates to Jesus. That's your picture, ladies, of your oar in the water. So practically how this works its way out. When things aren't going, things are just out of sync at home. Things are out of sync in the marriage. You've got hashtag kitchen sink rolling into hashtag kitchen sink. You're like, what? okay, here's an action item. Ladies, if you will ask, you say, oh, you know what? Adam's just not, he's not pursuing. He's not paying attention to me. I'm not feeling the Ephesians 5 love from Adam. Your action item should be this. Stick your oar in the water and row towards him and ask this question. What can I do to fuel and put some deposits in his respect tank? What can I do to build him up, encourage him, affirm him, celebrate him? Respect tank, like move towards your husband that way. And then Adam, same thing. If you're like Eve, she's like, just been super critical and I can't do anything right and you're just feeling no respect, no encouragement that way. You're like, so here's what you're, Adam, you're supposed to row towards her. You're supposed to stick the unconditional. Doesn't matter how she's responding. Come towards her. Move towards her relentlessly, selflessly, sacrificially. So you move towards each other and together you keep these rows in the water. It doesn't mean the current changes. It just means you're given power in the Holy Spirit, strength and help from the Scriptures, body of Christ, that by His grace we can navigate this. Love and respect, pushing back against sloth and control. Do you see how those two work? This is a Christian marriage. Christ at the center and I'm going to close now with this quote, because I think Emerson Egerich, he wrote a book called Love and Respect, uh, very helpful. And here's how he summarized this, to kind of bring all this together. Today, married couples are at a crossroads. Will she appreciate her husband's need for respect, or will she denounce his feelings? Will she discover the best way to love a husband is by respecting him in ways that are meaningful to him? Now listen, ladies. It's really important for you to understand what fuels your husband's respect tank. That'd be a practical like conversation this week. Go out to dinner and talk about, hey, Eve, you can say to Adam, honey, talk to me about what puts deposits in your respect tank. Now, on behalf of most Adams in the room, I can guarantee you one of the things that's important in that tank. Physical intimacy is a big deal on this point. And some of you ladies struggle with why physical intimacy is so important. It's tied right here. It's a key part of affirming a man's strength 
affirming how he's coming through for you. So when intimacy is breaking down in the marriage, you see how destructive this is for the whole cycle. So a sloth and control are going to have a field day. And there are certainly other things the man can speak to, but that's one for sure, I would guess, is in most of Adam's respect tank. And then likewise, now keep going with the quote, or will she focus totally on what she feels is the key to a happy marriage, her womanly feelings, and dismiss his needs as antiquated or male arrogance? At the same time, will the husband appreciate his wife's need for love or just continue to ignore her feelings? So equally so now, men, we have to move towards Eve and ask, honey, what puts deposits in your love tank? Perhaps it is physical intimacy for her. It's probably things like unhurried time together, focused attention, emotional connection and engagement. Whatever, let her describe acts of service, whatever it is. What puts deposits, Eve, in your love tank? We need to have a good handle on this in marriage. And by the way, it, it, it ebbs and flows with seasons of life. What was important in your 20s and 30s maybe looks different in your 40s, 50s, and beyond. So you've got to talk together. You've got to communicate. You've got to be open. How do I move towards you in the most helpful way these days? You tracking with me? Will he discover the best way to love a wife is to look beyond her criticisms and complaints to see why she isn't feeling love? Or will he just cower before her apparent contempt and retreat to the shelter of his stone wall? Hashtag kitchen sink. But hallelujah. Colossians 3 says, hashtag kitchen sink with Jesus. Oh, Lord. I can't imagine navigating all this without him. It's hard enough with him. Can you imagine? And I just want you to imagine with me. Imagine the ripple effect in our world today if several hundred of us in this room banded together to go about it Ephesians 5, Colossians 3 way. Imagine the glory God might receive of men and women and family units keeping the oars in the water and rowing together. Imagine the ripple effect of impact. Imagine the brokenness that can be healed. And some of you right in the middle of maybe on the brink of an ending, going through something at home, maybe on the backside of the ending, whatever. Just imagine the glory God could receive. If we band together, we want to be a resource. We want to be the kind of community where you can find hope, you can find healing, you can find a new start, you can find a new beginning. Even if you came to an ending and you're working through the heartbreak of that, this is a safe place for you. Everybody's welcome here. Nobody's perfect here. Ask anybody with one of these on. Guarantee you nobody's perfect here. If, you if they're not being honest with you, ask who they're married to. They'll tell you nobody's perfect here. <laughs> and anything's possible here because Jesus is here by his presence. There's nothing you're walking through that his love and grace are not able to walk with you in it and redeem some stuff out of it. So don't give up hope. And maybe God brought you here on this day for this reason at this moment to step back and envision what could be. Hashtag kitchen sink with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that this unbelievable idea you came up with to bring together men and women and put them in a family unit and and sometimes in the midst of our fallenness and brokenness, the current in the river seems overwhelmingly strong and we just get to the end of ourselves, and we say, Lord, we don't know what else to do. So this morning, we just right now pause and cry out to you and say, Jesus, help us. Help us shift the vision. If we've got a tyranny of a misplaced pursuit, I pray for the young people in this room, those who are listening online or maybe listening during the week on a podcast. 
Lord, I pray for our young people, our singles, our, our, our single adults, the, the college students, our high school students, those who are navigating, the single agains, those who are navigating these relational choices. In Jesus' name, would you give them a vision of an Ephesians 5 marriage? Would you give them a vision for their wholehearted pursuit of Christ? Would you help them run the race of faith like the Kenyans run the mini marathon? Would you help them not settle for less than a spouse that's running and keeping pace with them? Oh, God, burn it in their hearts. Give them that vision today. And then, Lord, there's a bunch in the room who are right now in the middle of Genesis 3, Colossians 3, oars in the water, oars out of the water, and help us, strengthen us, meet us. I pray that in the midst of building a marriage together, Christ in us, the hope of glory, would sustain us. Help us to selflessly and sacrificially move towards each other. I pray for some conversations this week. They're going to need an extra measure of your grace to enter into them. I pray for fruit, spiritual fruit, on the other side of them. For your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.